Welcome to another episode of Problem Busters, the show where we talk about people who are solving things and we share their good ideas. And of course, I'm here with my co-host, Jonathan. How are you, my friend? I'm very good. Ollie, how are you? I not complain. We're almost at the end of lockdown for, uh, for England, right? So we hope. Yep. And then it's um, open doors for Christmas. <laughs> and then after Christmas, lock them away again. That's it. <laughs> Strange times. So, uh, so what are we going to talk about today, my friend? So today we have a uh, esteemed guest on our hands. Um, and, uh, I was going to do the intro, wasn't I? Yes, you Did were. I that's right. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> Should I just put you on the spot a little bit? Yes, you. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Well, but let, let me, me take you away. About our guest. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, Hakim Evans coming direct from NYC in the US of A. And uh, Hakim is a youth activist and is part of the Alliance for Climate Education, or ACE. And uh, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. That's ah, a pleasure. Thank you for negotiating the time differences and minor technical difficulties. Yeah, for quite, anyone quite... listening, it's five hours. Don't <laughs> got to Google it. <laughs> so uh so before we we kick off and start talking about the problem that that you've been looking to solve and all that good stuff tell us a little bit about you and perhaps maybe a little bit about how your background might intersect with jonathan's in some way well great you asked so i'm originally from jamaica born and raised and a lot of the climate crisis focuses on that island but it's not something I paid attention to when I was younger. None of um, none of the issues that I really um, went through in the face of the climate crisis related to me until I moved to New York. And that's when I was 16. What was it like arriving in the Big Apple, coming from literally a tropical island? Well, it's not really the average coming to America experience even though we share a name, me and Prince Hakim didn't have much in common. So it was um, really um, heading into high school, not knowing what I want to do, looking for my passion, what I want to volunteer in, what issue I want to give myself to. And it was um, originally public health. And that's where I found the intersection to tobacco use and the environment, even though it was a small, on a small scale, then I um, furthered up my, my research with the Alliance for Climate Education. Then I got more experience as to how the climate crisis impacted public health, how, how it impacted me personally, how it impacted everyone in my community. And especially since I live in Far Rockaway, which is a small peninsula um, right outside on the tip of New York City. And it faced the brunt of Hurricane Sandy in 2012. And to this day, I have the markers in, in my house where the flood, the flood levels were. And it's significantly high. I don't actually, I'm ashamed to say, know very much about Hurricane Sandy at all. Do you, Jonathan? No, um, other than some of the coverage that was on the news, not, not very much was 
sort of highlighted in terms of how it affected um, real people. It's just kind of on the news they do the the, the, the trees and cars yeah. and yeah, and and, and the and the reporter in in the rain with with an umbrella getting blown about. Um, you know, just for the bit of a shock value, but it doesn't really say what the long-term effects are. Um, could you give us a bit more detail on what sort of the, those long effects, those long-term effects were in uh, in Far Rock? Um, yeah, sure. But for one, it was a highly politicized um, hurricane. We had people in Congress saying before the hurricane saying it's inconceivable that anyone would even suggest that the World Trade Center um, memorial could be flooded out and it was un-American to think like that. And then that's what happened. So people were playing politics with people's lives. And to this day, there are homes that are not um, refurbished. There's still water damage. There are some lots that aren't safe to go on because you can still see the impacts from Sandy. And to those in Far Rockaway, since everyone had to raise their their homes, there are some still not raised, and those might um, handle the brunt of a next climate catastrophe. Wow, that's that brings things home. I expect. Um, yeah, I mean, growing up in New Zealand, I I'm used to the fact that we started off with a what they called a burn time, which would be on the the news each night. Um, you know, tomorrow the burn time is. 18 minutes, 12 minutes, 11 minutes, 10 minutes. When it got down beneath 10 minutes, which was about 20 years ago, they stopped mentioning it because I guess they just feel that it would worry people that they would step outside and get sunburned, which is basically how things have become. But I haven't seen that kind of flood event in that way. Um, Jonathan, have you have you been touched by climate change in London? Um. London, yes. So um, in terms of climate um, crises over the years, I do remember when I was a lot younger, we had um, a hosepipe ban because although there, there is a lot of precipitation in the UK, um, the wastage of um, of uh, clean drinkable water was at an all-time high. So the government, because um, we, we, there, there are a number of res- reservoirs under underneath London and those were actually not getting replenished as quickly as the water was being used. Um, there was, there was, uh, I guess, not as much uh, precipitation as well. So what was happening is the government actually put a ban on using hose pipes to to wash cars and and um, and and uh, water your lawns and stuff. And that was the very first like sort of touch that that kind of hit hit home because in school they'll teach us oh that the water levels may rise. Um, with regards to the sea levels, but n- nobody really said, would you experience a drought in the UK, which was really surprising. And the fact that the, the drinkable water reserves were actually pretty low, well, that was one of the first surprises. Um, I was too really young to understand it, but I was all I knew is I couldn't wash the car <laughs> and I couldn't wa- water any plants outside with a, with a hose. Yeah, right. I mean, I guess I guess Australia is a, a bit like the US in the sense that it's big enough that you can kind of get a, a feel for things that are happening at different times in different seasons kind of at the, ta- the same time. Definitely. So I, yeah, and so there were, you know, you get news, um, news reports like I'm sure you've seen, Hakim, where, where you've got a drought somewhere and a flood somewhere on the same day. And Just that, like in um, the US this past um, summer in September, there was snow in Colorado, so that's like the 
southwest and there were um wildfires in california that's far west and over in new york city it was just hot ridiculously hot wow yeah. it kind of raises the thought that maybe something is wrong doesn't it so maybe now's a good time to tell us about the the problem that that caught your attention i think folks might have got a bit of a suggestion in what it is and uh and why yes the problem is the climate crisis but specifically how we can get involved and this problem is not going anywhere so to those ignoring it those being ambivalent it's a problem we caused it we know we caused it and we have the the options to develop solutions to rectify it. Yeah. And how did you get from public health to there? I mean, you've, you've given us a bit of a feeling for looking at, at smoking and then the, the hurricane hitting the city. Bridge that gap for us. All right. So public health, originally what I was doing was tobacco control. But for broader public health, we realized that especially in low-income communities who face the brunt of um, asthma and other respiratory diseases, those affect people, but it's the cause, um, which is cause cause for concern. The cause of these respiratory diseases is climate change in general, but specifically pollution, the rapid changes in the atmosphere, not just global warming, warming meaning everything's getting hot, but the, the fact that we have hot days and we have cold days and our hot days are going to be extremely hot and our cold days are going to be extremely cold. So it takes out the middle ground of our fluctuating weather patterns through our climate over time. So what we're seeing is more extreme events. So a normal day at the beach isn't going to be so normal under the sun. A cool snow day might end up being a blizzard. And these factors can have detrimental impacts on people's health. And in the U.S., public health um, care has been an issue that we've cared about for so long and not much being done about it. And the root cause has been environmental changes which affected people's health. So climate change has negatively impacted people's health. So rectifying climate change and the climate crisis can have a positive impact on people's health. Mm. Yeah, it's a, a link that I don't think many people draw. And I think they should because it doesn't, climate change doesn't affect us equally, does it? And I often, I often feel like uh, when there's a climate event um, that, that in many ways it kind of shines a light on inequality, you know? Yeah, definitely. And what we see in the U.S. is that those marginalized communities, indigenous groups, um, people of color, they face the major brunt of the climate catastrophe since they live in the most impacted areas, such as dense cities, close to um, production plants, where carbon is emitted, where sea levels are rising, 
where the air quality is just not safe, where coal ash is being dumped on, we realize that it's not just a coincidence, but we um, have encountered the issue of climate racism, where the most affected people are those who don't have much power or money or influence to fight back. Yeah. Because I think I think you do see that in places like is it Flint, Michigan, with the water? Yep. That that was really um, that was really highlighted that that mm-hmm. that disparity. Um, as far as being in New York as well, um, I see that's is it's one of the major cities in the world, <laughs> if not yeah. probably the most multicultural city in the world at the moment. Again, with the with this climate racism. So I just want to see if you, how you can touch on that in. In the areas where there are a lot more and people of color uh, residing, is it a lot harder for you to try and push your message to how climate change is really affecting them on, and, and the effects that it could have on their own health? I don't think it's much really difficult. Mm. All you have to do is just take the blinds off people's eyes and they're like, oh, this is happening. But the problem arises when they're like, how can I do something? How can I change um my way of life how can i change what i'm experiencing Mm. and that's where um civic engagement comes in how do we not just get these people educated but get them activated to take control of how they're living okay and that's a lot of the work that organizations like ace has done with other smaller and larger grassroots organizations to get people to get loud, to get them to hold their um, elected officials accountable and to recognize that their um, their current situation can be changed by changing who, who represents them. Right, yeah. What, what was the turning point for you? Because it's obviously when, when reading about your work, it's hard to get more than a paragraph in before Obama comes up. Someone uh, we both have a lot of respect for. Um, yeah. Was was that a moment? Tell us tell us a bit about that because I think that might help others work through their own process of should I get involved? Do you get me? Well, I won't just say that Obama was the only person I looked up to for um, guidance on the climate crisis. When truly it was just my personal experience and. Because I'm a very go-with-the-flow type of person. And when I was going through the issues of public health and the environment, and I'm realizing, whoa, this is damaging my flow. How do I rectify this? So getting educated was the point for me. That was the turning point for me where I could decide, hey, this is a problem. It affects me. It affects those who I... Uh, love and care about why can I do something? What can I do? So that was really the point for me. Then after that came the inspirations from people like Obama, John Kerry, um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, Now we have um, younger youth activists like Kevin Patel, Jamie Margolin, Greta Thunberg, who are doing all these important things that help us to reclaim our future. 
great. Yeah. Go for it, Jonathan. <laughs> no, I was, I was, I was thinking, I was like, oh, okay. Um, so in, in, um, in terms of, of, um, uh, for lack of a, well, it's probably the, the appropriate word is, is, is it the sort of the youth activism in regards to the climate crisis? Um, is there sort of, is there, is there an approach that's going on? Is there like a unified effort in terms of, um, tackling different areas? Are they like rural? Are there, are there sort of, um, do you attack it in a sense that okay, well, if you do, we focus on cities first and then make our way to rural areas, or is it a case of just we're trying to educate as many people as possible in different in different places first? Do you, do, is there is there a trend you're seeing where where change is being is being um, impacted more efficiently in different areas of the country in America? Sorry. <laughs> 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 well, I definitely think um changes um wide sweeping um every organization, the grassroots organization have their own target audience. Mm. But with the large network of youth that are taking action on climate, we're seeing a wide net being cast in rural areas, suburban areas, cities, mm. indigenous lands. Every, everyone everywhere is taking some sort of notice on the issue of the climate crisis, and they're speaking out. We're seeing places getting mobilized. Um, they're getting activated. They're taking back control. As we've seen in the current election cycle, we're seeing places have voting trends that are going to make graphs look completely different in the future. Yeah. Can you just <laughs> summarize that for folks who aren't in the US? Because what we see, as you can imagine, in the international media is more personality than policy driven. I think it's fair to say, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, oh. well, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I agree to, I, I agree to, 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 a, um, to a degree, <laughs> pun intended. Um, but I think it's, it's because we see on one hand, we had um, Trump who was very, uh i say boisterous and and um and you know was was kind of make america great again and 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 all of the 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 stuff that he brought um and on the other side you have biden who i i understand has a pretty um a pretty thorough approach to to climate change um correct me if i'm wrong hakeem yeah well you see you have someone on the right who has a very populist approach um mm. that panders to those who don't accept the climate crisis as an imminent threat then you have the guy on the left biden he um he's had a chippy record mm. may may consider him a centrist but left of center but the important thing is that we have pressure groups pressure um progressive pressure groups um, ensuring that the incoming president-elect is going to listen to those who vote, voted for him, especially those who cared about the climate crisis. Is that a change from previous elections that you've observed? Um, could you um, clarify that for me? Yeah, sure. So what, what I was thinking is that I know that when Obama was elected, there was a real moment in sophistication and getting organized and um, 
and uh, the campaign, it felt like global campaigning had changed at that moment for me. Um, and then I, you know, I saw the, I saw Trump come in and, and then as we moved into this election, I just, I feel like Biden was suddenly talking about things due to pressure groups who may not have had a voice in previous elections as much. Do you, do you see what I mean? Compared to big industry lobby, for example. That's very true because that's who whipped up a lot of the votes for him. With um, Biden's campaign, there was a lot of pressure from environmental groups, mainly because we have those in Congress that um, are very progressive, have very progressive ideals, and they come from places that Biden needed to um, ensure his victory. So they represent a bulk of these grassroots um, organizations and what needs to be done by Biden and the Democratic Party as a whole for these areas who face the brunt of the climate crisis, like Michigan, um, or states Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and even Georgia, where they face adverse um, climate catastrophes impending in coming years. Yeah, yeah. So what's your feeling for the short term? You know, I know a lot of um, activists in, um, and pressure groups in the UK um, have changed their approach as a result of what you might call a populist um, leader coming into power here. And I kind of imagine that that the moment you are having might be let's turn the page because we now have an opportunity to get some different work done. Is that what's, is that what you're feeling and seeing within ACE? Well, we're still not sitting back easy because not just because Biden won the election, even though some are trying to dispute it, that's not um, a reason to sit back because the country hasn't really shifted left because that depends on two important races that we have in the upper house of congress those two senate seats will decide who really controls the government or if we have a divided government so we're not out of the woods yet we still might have to do some more pressuring some more um activism work and so the our, our election isn't over until we get those results after january 5th so no no activist group is sitting by we're not um we're not breathing a sigh of relief yet but we can see some work is going to be done at the from the executive branch and we're going to see how much can get done and we're going to push to see if we can get our demands met um without congress if we so if we have those two seats lost it's just amazing, isn't it, Jonathan, that an election could go for so long, um, especially after the primaries and the secondaries, and it almost feels like a continuous election cycle. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, it's one of the one of the um, I guess the blessings or a curse of of um, 
well, it's not really a curse, but the blessings of uh, of democracy, right? <laughs> Where even when somebody has won, um, you can still dispute it, right? You can still say, "Hold on, let's let's check it again, just to just to confirm." <laughs> yeah, and he's checking again. He's checking again, yeah. <laughs> and nobody expected anything else, right? Because if exactly. uh, if populists are, are anything, they're predictable once they see the way things are leaning, right? Right. That's it. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's it. Um, in terms of the work that ace is doing i'm i'm under the impression that it's um well again with with um with with the climate crisis it's a more of a long-term plan and a long-term um gain so um could you sort of speak on how you you see the future working with with ace's work with um reaching young people and what benefits you see um, in the long term with with um, with educating a lot more young people um, at the rate that ACE is doing now? Yeah, definitely. So our long game for the climate justice movement as a whole is a just and equitable transition to renewable energy without dis- disparaging anyone else. So we want to see young people get educated and activated, do what they will with that information to ensure a future where we we are not dependent on dirty energy, where we're not dependent on elected officials who don't listen to what we have to say. And we make sure that all intersections of climate justice are realized because there's no climate justice without racial justice or justice for women justice for workers. It's an intersectional issue where we have to look at everyone who's being impacted and go to the youth in those groups since youth are the future and educate them to the point where we'll have a posterity that is just and equitable for everyone. Wow. Yeah. See, this is why I love the work that you're doing because you're not just focusing on one thing it's like a, you, you're you're looking at the at the causes as well so um the the morality with regards to clean renewable energy spans through to society and the morality amongst each other as well so i i, I really i really support that i like that yeah me yeah. too it, it just feels it feels like we're not just focusing on one thing because that after a while leads to that moment when people sort of say, yeah, but I, I live a normal life, right? Yeah. And we need to remember that, especially in activism, that some people have lives to live. They can't follow it to the T because we come from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Everyone can't afford to drink hemp milk and just have a nice merry day. <laughs> I feel like Jonathan's looking at me and my oat milk habit. Barista only. Thanks very much. Your chai soy lattes. <laughs> I love it. But it's a but it's a fair point, right? Because uh yeah. I've I've I think a really interesting debate in the climate justice debate is whose fault is it? Is it the developing world or the developed world, or is there something in between? And I, I find both sides really interesting, right? Because Europe and, to an extent, North America might say, yeah, I mean, we've polluted a lot, but look how much we're cleaning it up. We're really 
we're really ahead of the game. Look at you, China, India, Africa. You, you guys are just, look how much you're polluting. You need to clean up your act or you can't trade in our block. But then the other side is, well, fair enough, but you guys have been polluting for hundreds of years and we're just trying to get clean drinking water. The yeah. blame game is so, so consistent with major powers. Mm. It's so, um, it's a comfortable approach for them. Develop, developed countries are saying, oh, we're cleaning up. Large developing, developed countries who are not so big on cleaning up, still using dirty energy. They're saying, oh, we're not as bad. Developing countries are blaming large powers saying, oh, you did this and we're facing the brunt for it, but still allowing those countries to exploit their natural resources. It's a pointing game that's just convenient for everybody. And what we have to do is take a large approach with developed countries at the helm to cut their emissions by large amounts and develop and to use funding from transitioning to a more profitable um, energy system to help out developing countries who are who have who are facing the brunt of the climate catastrophe and who are going to be facing the brunt of even worse um, catastrophes that we can expect in the future. So this has to be a coordinated attempt on a global level. Mm, yeah. Have you seen any examples of that that you could share? Hmm. Um, none comes to mind right now. Which but... means it's cutting edge. <laughs> you heard it here first from Hakeem. <laughs> You're right. So get on it, guys. Work with <laughs> adopt a developing country. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe we could take one a little bit closer to home. Do you want to tell us about NY Renews, the coalition, and and the push for for wind energy? Because I have to admit, the the Big Apple and wind energy didn't come to mind for me. You know. Yeah. So um, so I've been paying very close attention to. New York State's um, offshore wind master plan. And originally when the plan just came out in, I believe, 2017, the plan was to have 45% of the state's energy come from offshore wind. And I'm like, 45%. And at the hearings, you're hearing how much government red tape they would need that would take about 10 years to clear through. So I'm like, why don't you just do 100%? So synonymously, New York Renews, a coalition of grassroots organizations that care about the environment, was looking to pass the Climate and Community Protection Act. And we've been trying to do this for a while. Um, it's included lobbying elected officials, unseating them at the state level, and um, eventually passing this bill that would ensure a just and equitable transition to renewable energy. And what we've seen is that it's cohesively putting the state's plan on track to 
widen widen how much um wind energy they will use so this actually benefits more people by forcing the state to actively utilize more resources than doing it little by little that was probably a point to pander to conservatives so what we're seeing is the state taking action based on a successful grassroots grassroots effort to ensure that people have the option for clean energy and especially in new york's um new york state where we have new york city the city that never sleeps being powered by renewable energy that's something to look forward to and i think that's something the world would welcome yeah absolutely i mean that makes my hands tingle um it's it's mm-hmm. to see an, a major industrial powerhouse and commercial powerhouse and financial powerhouse like like New York move forward really feels like it would pave the way for others, right, Jonathan? Definitely, yeah. yeah. So let's take the other side of, of things. Um, you were involved in the ratification of the Paris Climate Agreement, right? Or at least you were in the room and in the, the youth circle um, side of it, right? Um, what yeah, was, in the room. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? I mean, you are probably one of two people I've ever met who have even been in the same room with someone like Obama. So, what was that? What did that feel like? Did it feel like we are moving forward? All right. So, quick, um, clear the air. Um, Obama wasn't in the room. He sent John Kerry as his representative. He was probably still in the hotel. He probably just didn't want to see me. But it's all good, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> You've got over it. Now that's that's big. Yeah, I, I'm over it. So in that moment, <laughs> we um, I was um, one of two young people in the room, like young. I was what 17 at the time, 16 or 17 at the time, and that was when I realized, um, hey, um, there's not a pe- a lot of people that seem to be around my age group taking part in this and witnessing like a momentous occasion where we'd see the ratification of the Paris Agreement that would go into force in three months time. It was a beautiful process that where I saw almost all the world leaders taking action, making commitments and the brunt of it was when the U.S. pulled out. But focusing on the ratification of the Paris Agreement, that day I um, had a meeting with um, some, at the time, the Minister of the Environment for the UAE, which is very interesting because, you know, oil yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also desalinization <laughs> and solar and electric cities. Yeah. So we had a conversation with um, some of their international students from the UAE and the role that youth have to play. And it was clear that youth can be a successful pressure group. And that, I think, was a foreshadowing moment for the U.S. pulling out of the Paris Agreement because... We saw um, the localities step up and youth um, activist groups and grassroots organizations step up. Yeah. 
And yeah, I, sorry, Jonathan, you go. Oh no, I was saying um, it is quite interesting actually because when I was at um, university um, oh, <laughs> ten years ago, um, a number of uh, I did civil engineering which of course you know is is all about building structures and engineering and a lot of oil companies so we had a lot of um people from from the from the UAE studying in in my class and their fathers used to work for these big oil companies and they were tasked to pretty much learn about sustainable construction which was quite interesting so a lot of their a lot of the the learnings they did was all on um was on sustainability and I found that were quite interesting that the foresight to have to have your young people trained up on a um, on learning skills of which that you as a parent are not going to use anymore. Right. It's like a coal miner sending their child to do pro programming, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I was just I was just thinking that the foresight um, is quite interesting, especially when you're producing a lot of oil that to think, all right. The, the youth and um, the pressure groups and and just having the foresight to say okay well we actually start need to make a start uh, on change so yeah yeah that's very interesting and that's one of our goals for having a just and equitable transition to renewable energy because remember we have all these coal plants we have all these dirt, dirty energy facilities these can't be shut down overnight. And displacing their worker, their workers is a non-starter because mm. we want to make sure they have something to live for. They have something to do when the coal industry is no longer profitable to anyone. So that's why skills training, jobs training, a new generation of people who will take the helm of the renewable energy industry. industry. And that may include the sons and daughters of coal workers and yeah. mine workers <laughs> yeah and and that i mean that's fascinating to me as as someone who's lived in two different british colonies right at, at one time um you know new zealand and australia's towns i think we can say outside of the commercial centers are where primary industry was based right and and i think i think a lot of parts of of England um, have towns that have developed around rigs and and mines and things like that too, right? Yeah. But but I know the states definitely and Canada definitely, right? And so, of what happens to a group of people in a place like in Tasmania on the west coast, um, and uh, I think it's called Zealand. And I turned up in my van and I'm driving around and I'm like, "How are you all doing? What's happening?" And I I parked up in this car park and these these guys next to me said, "Do you mind if we?" if we have a, um, a bonfire near your van, is that all right? It's about 20 meters away. And I was like, sure. And I was thinking, wow, this guy looks like he's on tough times, right? I'm just going to say yes to whatever, although he seems <laughs> like a good guy. And, and the thing that got me worried was that this bonfire was doors and windows. And so I wandered over and I talked to them and I said, why are you burning doors and windows? Because you could say what you want in Australia, which is kind of nice. And, uh, and the guy said, because... We're tearing down the empty houses because they've been there for 20 years since the mines shut and we need something to burn and that's just rubbish. And I realized that if we don't have something for people to do, then we can't shut down what they might be doing, right? It's not, they didn't necessarily get a job at the plant because they didn't care about the environment, right? They got a job because they needed a job. So, yeah. so what you say really rings true to me. Yeah. 
So as far as the political aspect of it now, because I'm sure the, the pressure groups are getting more and more involved and that angle seems to be a bit, it seems to be quite successful because I'm, I'm sure if I was a politician today and I was coming into power, I don't want to be responsible for losing hundreds of thousands of jobs because I've brought in sustainable energy too quickly um, and I've sort of all these coal miners are, are now out of business and I'm, I'm going to get blamed and, and it's, it's just going to be a whole PR mess. Um, in terms of the political aspect um, and that sort of changeover, have you seen, are you seeing that changeover take take um, effect in industry? I mean, first one that jumps is kind of Tesla, I believe where they're trying to make a change. Do you see that movement moving from old energy to, to sort of sustainable energy for plants in different industries um, other than the car? Well, definitely, because um, most of these companies, not just Tesla, are most of the ones who are still using gasoline, they're mm. including hybrid functions on their newer models. Mm. They're trying to go electric as well. So no one um, wants to rush and jump out of dirty energy so quickly but they're mm. trying to like test out the waters for renewable uh, renewable energy so it's a transitional phase you could say that might take some time mm. but there is an industry shift and as a in regards to a political shift that's mainly taking place at the state levels even conservative states are taking action on climate change, even if they don't say it outright, <laughs> they might say, oh, let's make our air and water cleaner. Let's um, make things more sustainable. They'll dance around the idea of climate change, just like how we dance around the idea of welfare. Everyone wants to have a social um, safety net, but no one wants to say the word welfare. Mm. or want to be a welfare state. So I think that's um, where we're coming to. And I think the U.S. can find common ground on the idea of making the environment better for everyone. Mm. I find that really fascinating as well, that, that what we see on the tin, if you like, um, in terms of the, the national brand is perhaps one message. And then on the ground, people are actually getting involved and just quietly getting it done yeah what about can you talk about after the paris climate um agreement was ratified there's been this movement in youth justice right and climate justice for youth um can you just talk about what it was like being involved in that and seeing these movements a lot of them come from nyc but um across the world and seeing people like greta start to organize things what was it like being part of that? All right. So if I could show you a graph, it would start with the Paris Agreement um, ratification being a high point. Then go to November. And not, it was still relatively high because that's when it went into force. And then November 9th, you, you all know it went downhill for everyone who cared about environmental justice because that, that's when we got the results of the 2016 election. Then fast forward to March um, and April, we saw movements growing and budding. We saw um, 
organizations like This Is Zero Hour um, starting to bud. We saw um, Fridays for Future, Greta, starting to come in much later. We saw everyone listening, starting to care about this issue. So it was a long phase of a plethora of emotions that we just had to take in and experience. And it was a wild ride. I'm not going to lie. Um, and there were some crazy moments, especially when I look back at the 2018 Global Climate Action um, Summit, where youth from all over were called in and brought in. And it was pretty much just for show at an international conference of that magnitude youth were really much um, disenfranchised and just brought there as arm candy, basically. And we saw the negative side of the climate, the climate movement of where those who are wealthy and want the accolades just show their true colors and after that, it gave youth some thought to be more upfront and take control of the movement. Yeah. So do you feel like things started to move when people started to organize and what's the phrase? Civil disobedience started to, to be seen? Well, I wouldn't say there was much civil disobedience, but there was a wide array of um, civic engagement so, like, not everyone was jumping out there in at Trump Tower to get arrested, but there were a lot of peaceful um, demonstrations, and a lot of people put their money where their mouth is and supported a lot of youth causes, um, including the climate movement. So, money we saw as not just, like, the root of all evil— but we saw it as a tool where, hey, the lobbyists, the industry insiders are pumping money into all these negative um, campaigns. Why don't we just gather the average Joe and the average Mary Sue and have them chip in and help us for a noble cause? Yeah, yeah. Um. I think Dave Chappelle said it the the best, right? He says money is um, gives you more decisions, so you can make more decisions. It's not necessarily a, um, it's not a maker or breaker. It just allows you to make more decisions because you have Definitely. more more things available at that point. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so what would you say to a younger you if you looked back now and you were at that point of thinking? I think it's public health, but there's this kind of link with climate. Can I even do anything about that? That seems big and scary. What would you say? I, I, so everyone always makes these messages to their younger self. And I'm like, your younger self would be like, who are you? What? <laughs> that makes no sense. Younger me would not understand a word older me is saying. I really grew from that point, And there's... The only thing I could say to my younger self was just just be open to the idea. Just be open to new ideas, to new trains of thought. My 
very way of thinking was different at that time compared to now. So that's all I could say. Just be open to new ideas. Yeah, I think that's really reasonable because, uh, <laughs> because you know, I didn't listen to anybody when they were older than me. You know, when you said that you were thinking about these things at 17, I just think, wow, I was such a late bloomer in that sense. And I come <laughs> from an environmental family, right, in terms of science. And uh, at 17, I was thinking, I wonder if I'm going to make it to 21, right? Yeah. And listening to the offspring <laughs> and and going surfing and you know, if, if Hakim had turned up and said, we need to talk about the climate, I would have been like, <laughs> dude, I wear sunscreen. <laughs> I guess that's what um, the work that Ace does. I guess that ties into that because you would have, you essentially have younger selves talking to younger selves at that point. <laughs> Just kind of uh, trying to relay the message over um, through y uh, young people to young people. Because right. it, it's a completely different language. Even if you look at hip hop from the old school to now, it's just completely. It's not. It's not foreign, but it is a, a lot different. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Also, it's very different when your peers are doing it. Because yes. when I was doing the public health work, and there was one day I had my school do a town hall and. I was getting awarded by two local elected officials and everyone was like, huh? Wait, we can do this? <laughs> so, no, it's a real thing. Because at a young age, you're thinking, yeah, that's that's not for me. Maybe when I'm older, sure. Um, but at this point in my life, wait, he's doing it. I could do it too. And that's really how young people think. Yeah, that's amazing. So what would you say to parents when they're sitting at home and their kids ask the normal questions about why have we wrecked the world? Um, what would you say to them? Well, kids nowadays are asking their parents, um, hey, we're in an existential crisis. What do you think we should do about it? And parents are like, huh? <laughs> so <laughs> parents can really just um, help educate their kids. Like, I, I saw it um, closely with the March for Our Lives um, when that movement was really taking the U.S. by storm and a lot of parents had to have the conversation with their kids. So when their kids were like, hey, I'm going to march, a lot of parents were had to be like, hey, why do you want to march? Why is it important to you? And especially um, parents of color, they ensured that their kids pass the test like hey you gotta know what you're marching for what you're standing for and why do you even want to do it if you can't give me a good answer you're staying home so parents really need to um and not just shoot down the ideas of their kid because if that was the case what if Greta's parents were like you want to do what nah stay home you got homework to do we would lose like a lot of influence for the movement. So um, even if parents don't exactly understand what, what young people are trying to do, there can be ways that they can support, even if they don't agree. Like if you have conservative parents and the climate crisis might be a very liberal idea to you, you still want to support the 
a noble cause that your child is taking up. Like, so I think it's important for parents to just be a support group for kids because activism is already a stressful field. Hmm. How does that relate to the, the things that Gabriel's starting to ask you, Jonathan? He's quite young, right? So he probably hasn't said, Dad, why don't we move away from coal energy? <laughs> <laughs> but you would get the concept a lot more than I, I suspect. Yeah, I think right now he's um, he wants to be an astronaut, so he's asking. He knows all the planets and the um, and this is actually uh, uh, <laughs> um, uh, just uh, sort of around what Gim was saying about getting educated. Um, I he we were saying all the planets, and when I was growing up, one of the planets was Pluto. And that has, it's no longer a planet or it's a, it's what the, uh, I think they call them a dwarf planet now. Yeah. And, um, he was saying, he was, a, he goes, but daddy, that's not a planet. It's a, it's a dwarf planet. And he started saying Hermea and Maki Maki and all the other ones. And I was like, oh, so, uh, knowing me straight onto the older uh, YouTube and the same with <laughs> to the Wikipedia had to learn all these other planets. And, uh, so, you know, it's, it's really, really have to get educated and stay one step ahead because the world is changing so fast. And, um, when young people look towards, um, an elder per person, whether it be their parent or a family friend or, or grandparent or uncle or auntie, it's usually for, um, you're usually their first reference of what is, what's real in the, in, in the real world, what's, what's going on out there. So if you can learn as much as you can and relay the information and support and understand, I think that makes for a, a, an easier transition and an easier, um, you know, cause you can, you can help mold their mind into, um, a, a more moral person based on, on, um, on, on the input you give them at that age. So, um, yeah, he hasn't asked me about the, the coal yet, but I'm just waiting for that nuclear energy and waiting for that coal <laughs> and waiting for the oil. Um, and yeah, so, you know, and to, to, to a degree, I think, um, people like Hakeem and, 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 um, and Ace really for the, for the parents that have no way of getting that message. So if I'm working in the factory all day and I don't really have the answers, I don't have time. Um, it really does help to at least try and, and push your child to, to, towards uh, these organizations who can actually provide a lot of the answers if you can't. Yeah, what, what, from your experience, Hakim, how would you suggest that, that people can get their children involved in a healthy way in mm. learning and, and, and the debate? Yeah, so um, I think parents don't really want their kids going to like... Uh, Greenpeace's website, mm. <laughs> but they would really like some important tools. So I think that's why there's some safe organizations to get your child educated, like ACE, which has um, a feature called Or Climate or Future, which is an animated short that basically gives you a breakdown of climate science which um, when I just started ACE, I was getting a look at not this, um, but an in-person um, experience with climate science and getting knowledgeable on it. So I think even going, uh, even going to NASA's website um, to find some information on climate science, even though um, with this administration, the term science and a lot of 
things related to the climate were removed. But most of the facts still remained on government websites. So you can't hide all the science. Mm-hmm. And with this incoming administration, that's definitely going to be one of the things to look forward to. So science will return to the helm of science and we won't just be winging it. So um, parents with kids can definitely turn to, well, I can't say like scholarly journals and <laughs> articles, but definitely might be a bit of a marketing tool, but head over to ACE's website and <laughs> get some of that information. Yeah, yeah. Cool. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. And <laughs> and I, I particularly like the our climate, our future. I, I think that's a, a good one. So that'll be in there too. Um, tell us, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in terms of the movement, in terms of the US and what's happening there and, and more broadly in terms of the way the world is changing? I'm looking forward to like, who will actually develop an entire country, a large country that has the capability to run on 100% renewable energy, have zero waste, ensure a sustainable um, ecosystem is developed, and ensuring posterity for younger generations. I want to see who can do that. And developing countries, I want to see which, um, which of them, and I hope all of them, enter a place where they can be sustainable and improve the quality of life, especially in um, sub-Saharan Africa. I, I'm looking there to the future. And what, a, what an amazing place for innovation as, as a group yep. of countries, right? I, yeah. I haven't had the pleasure yet, but I've certainly spoke to some folks who have and, and you know, this, the, the amazing, the inventiveness, inventiveness that comes from necessity, right? Yeah. Wait, were you asking me? A no, no, no. I was question. Just, oh, yeah, just, <laughs> that was just. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking like, about fish on the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think sub-Saharan Africa is is one of the one of the unique places in the world where um, they're they're developing at, at such a rate that you're in a you're in a um, sort of a fork in the road that if you do take the sustainability route, you can still um, build out a lot of sustainable infrastructure for future generations. Um, whilst if you don't and you go the standard route that I guess a lot of Western um, countries did over the past hundreds of years, you, you will sort of lock your way into that path as well. So it's quite an interesting place. Really, really interesting. Um, a lot of development happening there, a lot of resources because it's all on the, your doorstep as well. So, um, yeah, totally. really interesting. So what, let's, uh, now I'm conscious of your time, Hakim, and thanks for being so generous with it. Um, is there anything that you would like to promote beyond ACE in terms of books or films or organizations that, that you think deserve looking into? Well, maybe I should start with the I Am Greta documentary that I should take a look into. Um, I want to get a look into that. I also want to um, talk about a, a film that inspired me, even because since I was born in 98, 
Oh, you're I so young. It's amazing. <laughs> I didn't know the um, the impact that Al Gore's an inconvenient truth had on like the general populace. So that's why when I watched an an inconvenient sequel, I'm like, oh, this this was interesting because to anyone who didn't have knowledge of the climate crisis, but to someone who does. I still didn't realize the magnitude and the scale of how much it was a problem. But I think Greta's documentary, which I haven't watched yet, um, should highlight some of the youth voices that are integral to the climate justice movement. So that's that's what I'm pushing to, to watch. Also a book by my good friend Jamie Margolin, the director and founder of this is Zero Hour. She has a book out, um, Youth to Power. I'll try to get to reading that as well. Awesome. Um, yeah, and I think that's it for books and films that I should get on. Awesome. Thank you. Jonathan, do you have anything else on the tip of your tongue? Or should we, uh, should we thank Hakim for his time? Oh, also, I want What? Wanna... There's more. There we <laughs> yeah. go. Yep, there's more. <laughs> I want to make sure, like, everyone knows um, whatever background, age, ability, you have a part to play in the um, environmental justice movement, whether it be marching. If you can't march, you can fund organizations. If you can't fund organizations, you can support them on social media. If you don't have social media have your kids show you or your neighbor's kid get educated get activated and help someone oh fantastic that was uh that was my question i was like what can a normal person do <laughs> like what can an everyday person do yeah so um again uh thank you very much hakeem we appreciate offering your time and um your experiences thanks for having me yeah, I mean, thank you. That's uh, it's been inspiring, and and yeah, I just feel grateful to be able to to share the the story of what you've experienced in the states with people all over the world. So, thank you, and uh, folks, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and uh, and follow Jonathan all over social media because he's famous. <laughs> just just wanted Not to hear really. you. Just wanted to hear your nervous laugh. <laughs> It's been a pleasure, folks. And uh, Hakeem, I hope that you are a sign of Congress people to come. Oh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Bye, everyone.